you know me, you know that this particular Sunday, uh, the Sunday after Christmas, the Sunday that sits between, uh, you know, I guess Christmas and the New Year, tends to be one of my favorite Sundays out of the year. Unfortunately, this Sunday is usually one of the lowest attendance Sundays uh, of, of all the year uh, because people are traveling and people are still in the throes of the holiday season. But for me, it tends to be one of my favorite. And though I love preaching in general, I especially love preaching on this Sunday because we are about to cross a threshold into, into a brand new year. And some of us can't turn the page on this year fast enough. We want to see what's in store for us in 2020. But I come to this Sunday usually with a lot of hopeful optimism because there's something special, in my view, about turning a page into a brand new year. And usually this message, I get to bring some wisdom or encouragement or some kind of challenge that catapults us faithfully into a brand new year. So despite the COVID surge and all the uncertainty and unpredictability surrounding what's going to happen in the very new, near future as we're trending in all the wrong ways with this COVID virus, I still have come to this year with some hopeful optimism for what the Lord might do in this brand new year. And so I've come this morning to extend this challenge, if I'm going to give you some wisdom, if I'm going to give you some encouragement, if I'm going to challenge you as we enter the, this brand new year, here is the challenge. Throw your whole self at this new year. That's the challenge. I believe that God is inviting us in really pronounced ways to throw our whole self at this new year particularly to do so in ways that God would be pleased with. And some of us, this will be particularly challenging because we have never, if we look back, if we do an inventory of our life, and we just go through our whole life, some of us will find that we've never thrown our whole self at anything ever. Maybe it's because of fear or laziness or indifference that we've never thrown our whole self, we've never given our full self to anything and because of that, we've never had the opportunity to reap the benefits of what it might look like to give your all to something or to someone. Others of us have thrown our whole self at things, only they've been the wrong things or they've been in the wrong proportions, right? Some of us have thrown our whole self at work and neglected everything else. Some of us have thrown our whole self at family and neglected all the other things. Some of us have thrown our full self at a significant other, neglecting other things. And so we haven't approached life with the right fervor, with the right balance, in the right proportions. And again, we have never reaped the full benefits of throwing our whole self at the life that God has for us in the right timing, with the right energy, in the right measures, in the right proportions, or some of us don't really know what it looks like to, in a healthy way, lean our whole weight toward life. But I wonder what it might look like for us to approach this new year with a different focus, to bring our whole selves to bear on this new year, with our full attention, right? Focused on the right things in the right proportions and we might intentionally starve all the knucklehead stuff. 
I wonder what life might look like if we lean toward the right stuff. Well, you say, preacher, what is the right stuff? Well, this year, especially this holiday season, we've been focusing a lot on Jesus as the light of the world. But we haven't stopped there. We've pressed in to focus on the fact that Jesus is inviting us, his people, to continue his ministry of light. In other words, we haven't just been affected with light. We've been filled with light, and we are called to continue a ministry of light to the world. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 and 14, you are the salt of the earth. He continues in verse 14, you are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. This is what Jesus says to us. And so when I sum all this up, I get the, uh, I get the unshakable notion that Jesus expects us to change the world. Now, I know that sounds big and that sounds large, but when I say the world, I don't mean you're supposed to get on a plane and hop to every country and go to change it. What I mean is that Jesus is calling you to change your slice, your slice of the world. Put a different way to have a significant impact on the slice of the world that he stationed you in. Right? Change the world sounds big scary. But I think Jesus means he wants us to change our world, our world. And how many of you know you don't accidentally change the world? You might accidentally discover a cure for something or accidentally do something catastrophic. But generally speaking, if you're going to have the type of impact that we're called to have, it's going to come with great, what, intentionality. So what is the goal for 2022? It's simply this. Show up and throw your whole self at this new year in a way that will produce significant change in you and have a significant impact on the world around you, to put it plainly, to have a significant impact on your world. I think that's what we're called to do, to impact the world around you in consequential, meaningful, significant noticeable, and might I add, positive ways. I've come this morning with a message I'm simply calling the consequential life. A life that has impact. A life that has meaning. And I think this is what we're supposed to be leaning toward as we enter this new year. I think the Lord might want to prepare our hearts to calibrate our sensitivities and our sensibilities to live a consequential life. Life, And I should also say that the Christian life is a consequential life. In other words, if we're living this life in the way that we should, it should be impacting the world around us in meaningful ways. Salt, light are change elements. They make a difference. People notice them when they are present. And such should be the life of a Christian, particularly those choosing to live what I'm calling the consequential life. I'm going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Would you meet me there in your Bibles this morning? We'll also be projecting the words on the screens. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. While you find it, let me pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you for this season. We thank you for this church. I thank you for what you're calling us into. And I realize, Lord, as we stand at the threshold of this brand new year, not everybody's excited. 
Not everybody has vision and hopeful optimism for what you're going to do, but Lord, we know that you've called us to show up a certain way. I know that they're waiting for us in the new year is all that you have for us. And so, Father, I pray that we would lay hold of it, and I pray, Lord, as you have our attention this morning, that we would feast at your table, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, that you would give us wisdom and insight as to how we should show up in this new year to make maximum impact for your kingdom and for your glory. May our hearts this morning be soft landing places for your truth, and may we respond in ways that are appropriate and ways that you would find pleasing. Put power on these words that you have given me to speak this morning. Move the preacher out of the way so that your truth and your life might shine through. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen. Second Corinthians chapter 2. And Corinthians is simply one of Paul's pastoral letters to the church at Corinth. In this particular epistle, Paul is dealing with two big issues. He's dealing with false teachers and trying to help God's people understand what's true and what's not. He's dealing with those who are trying to challenge his apostolic authority, but mostly he's trying to set the record straight and help his faithful church understand who they are and how they should be showing up to impact the world that they're living in. And so we pick up here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Paul says this, But thank God he has made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Our lives are Christ-like fragrances rising up to God, but this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom, but to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. And who is adequate for such a task as this? You see, we're not like the many hucksters who preach for personal profit. We preach the word of God with sincerity and with Christ's authority, knowing that God is watching. Knowing that God is watching. Now, I really like this text for a few very important reasons. I think that it is clarifying text. It's a clarifying text in that it helps to clarify who we are and what we should be up to. I think it's incredibly encouraging, and I think that it is uniquely challenging. I think it's important, this text, because it's helpful and necessary for us to understand that the Christian life has a uniqueness to it. It has a uniqueness to it. There's some distinctiveness to the Christian life. I hope you know that. But Paul describes the Christian life in this text in a way that we all can relate to because Paul describes the Christian life as a fragrance, as a smell. And there's something that we can all relate to. We can all relate to smell. Smells are powerful, aren't they? There are good smells, and as we all know, there are bad smells. Smells are tied to memories, right? Smells are tied to places and things and people, right? Some of you, you smell something and it takes you back to a childhood place, takes you back to your favorite meal, 
or, or it takes you back to a person or reminds you of an ex or somebody from your past and either that's a good smell and a good memory or, or it's repulsive and you have to run to the bathroom. Well, we all understand smells, don't we? I remember as a boy coming in the house from outside, I would run past my mother. She said, boy, boy, come back over here. She smelled me. She said, boy, you go take a bath. You smell like outside. And I was smell myself, I don't, I, I don't smell it. He said, boy, go take a bath. You smell like outside. And as I got out of earshot, I would say something like, well, what does outside even smell like? Well, fast forward a few decades. I've got four boys of my own. I know now what outside smells like. <laughs> it's a peculiar odor. And you may not even smell it yourself. You may not smell your own smell, but for better or worse, we're giving off the smell. And so Paul frames this in a helpful way that's easier for us to grasp. And basically what he's letting us know is whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not, your life has a smell to it. Your life is giving off some kind of odor, some kind of fragrance. And so Paul aims this discourse, this short discourse, at Christians, at Jesus' people. And he pulls us toward this understanding that as Christians, we want to have what he calls a Christ-like fragrance. And I just want us to capture that phrase because that captures, I think, what it might look like this year to be on mission. To have that Christ-like fragrance. And there's four helpful things that I want to pull out of this text this morning that should adequately prepare us to live what I'm calling the consequential life, to live a life on mission in this brand new year. Four things I notice that Paul does here. The first is that Paul defines who we are. Paul defines who who we are. And this is super important because it's hard to know just what you should do if you don't first know exactly who you are. I'll say that again. It's hard to know what you should do if you don't first know who you are. And so in the very first verse that we read today, Paul says, but I thank God he has made us his what? His captives and, to, and continues to lead us along Christ's triumphal procession. And the picture here that Paul is trying to paint for us, imagine a Roman general returning from battle in the celebratory march as they march through town on their way back home. No doubt they're carrying truckloads or carriage loads of all the spoils and plunder from their enemies but they're also bringing along with them all of the captives. All of the folks that they conquered and they wanted to bring back with them, presumably to make them captives, presumably to make them servants or slaves. Just imagine the triumphal procession of the armies with, and everybody's celebrating. They've got the plunder and the spoils of war, but they also have a line of captives. This is the picture that Paul paints. He said, God has made us his what? His captives. Now, let me tell you, I don't like this whole captives language. 
The slave language that Paul uses a lot. I'm a slave of the most. Paul, can you use maybe some different words? Because there's a brother, there's something about the captives and the, the slave and the ser- something that doesn't quite resonate with me. But this, Paul understands that there's no better language to sum up how we should relate to the master. Slaves don't have any rights. They don't exercise prerogatives. They are not their own. There's no quite, no, no quite other word that might adequately help us understand our relationship to our God other than the words that Paul chose to use, slaves, captives. Well, Paul frames us as, as, as willful captives, right? We haven't been taken against our will. Out of faith and out of love, we've attached ourselves to God. We've laid down our rights and prerogatives so that we might be in fellowship with him. Through faith and love, we have surrendered our will to God's. And so Jesus tells Peter in John chapter 21, if you love me, you love me. You've surrendered yourself and your prerogatives. If you love me, then what? Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, do my stuff, continue the ministry of light. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he tells us, guys, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, or here, near, and far away. Jesus said, if you're mine, do my stuff. You belong to me. do my stuff. And here we are, his. Some of us aren't his, though. Some of us don't know we're his. Or some of us don't act like we're his. And let me just tell you from the outset, that will complicate the Christian life. Because you won't live a life on mission if you don't know whose you are. And Paul says from the outset, who we are, we are his captives. So we press into this. The second thing I see in this text is that Paul describes our function. In other words, Paul describes what we're supposed to be doing. Verse 14 said, but thank God he has made us his captives and continues to lead us along Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses us to, get this, spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Our lives are Christ-like fragrances rising up to God. Now, we just alluded to this a second ago, but what we're supposed to be up to, Paul says, is spreading the knowledge of Christ everywhere. I'm trying to find in here where Paul says, make as much money as you can. I'm trying to look at what translation says that we should try to climb the corporate ladder all the way to the top rung. And have, find the prettiest wife or the most strapping husband or have the most accomplished kid. I'm trying to find that in here. Maybe, maybe I'm reading the wrong translation. No, Paul says we are supposed to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere. That is our function. And if you can happen to make a good living as you do it, then go for it. Spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere. And if you happen to marry somebody that's fine, then Great. Push out a few kids. 
That's, that's great too. But that's not why we're here. He said, preacher, why are, you, why, are you, why are you so forceful about it? I'll tell you, there's a brand of Christianity that is growing in popularity. It's a, it's a silent faith. It doesn't disrupt anything. It, it doesn't stand for anything. It's okay with everything. It's got no flavor, it's not distinct, and it's utterly inconsequential. I want you to sit with that for a second because that might be the brand of faith that you've subscribed to. Silent, neutral. It's just tofu, right? Just whatever flavor's in the pot, that's what, that's what it takes on. But Paul says, that's not who we are. That's not our function. And Paul lists our function, I guess, as I read between the lines, as twofold. The first function is proclamation, Right? Got to say something. Got to stand out. You can't spread the knowledge of Christ without proclaiming something, right? Action. It involves risks. And to some of, this, some of us, this is the scariest part of faith, especially in this particular climate where you get canceled easily for standing for something. Because when you stand for something, you, you, you become against things that are cultural sacred cows and, 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 and to stand for something and to speak out and to, to raise your hand and say, I'm with Jesus, is, is costly and, and it is utterly frightening for many of us and many of you, that's where you live. To others of you, you like this part. You, your personality, you looking for a fight. Who, I, I got something to say, right? You love to talk and yap and call out things and stand for stuff, right? But part of it is this proclamation part. But here's the other part, and I think this is mostly what Paul is getting at. There's proclamation, and then there's presence. And presence, hear me, doesn't involve a whole lot of talking, really. Because you can talk and you can proclaim and you can rail against things and talk about stuff. And oftentimes that's what we do when we're trying to mask something, when we're trying to be slick, when we're trying to hide who we are. So I, I've just become suspicious of somebody who's talking too much, who's got opinion about everything. I, I've become a little suspicious that I, I am looking for presence. What kind of vibe do you give off? Presence. It's hard to fake presence for, for an extended period of time. You can fake it for a little bit. If you're good, you can fake it maybe for even long, but it's hard to fake presence. And this word that Paul uses, fragrance, is a really good, captures well this, this whole notion of presence. 
it's, it's your vibe. It's, it's what you give off. And Paul says our lives should be Christ-like fragrances rising up to God. Your presence is what type of person you are. Are you mean? Are you stingy? Are you generous? Are you racist and bigoted? Or, or, or do you see value in difference? Your fragrance is what you put off. That's why I keep it. I'm wearing an SSV shirt every day. I'm just, I'm putting a flag up. Come talk to me about this. Just so happens that it's my life's work, right? It's my fragrance. The fragrance is how you treat people, how you carry yourself. If you're single, your fragrance is how you, how you single. If you're married, it's how you Get along as a married person. If you're a grandparent, it's how you grandparent. If you're a student, it's how you student. It's your fragrance. Your presence is how folks witness you go through the, the valley of the shadow of death. And the furnace of affliction, it is your presence, it's your vibe, and it's hard, it's hard to fake this. Paul would challenge each of us now and especially as we walk into this new year what kind of presence do you have is it the fragrance of christ some of you say man i want that well hold on a second because paul the third thing he does is he gives us a disclaimer <laughs> he tells us that the consequential life will land differently on different kinds of people. Paul says, our lives are Christ-like fragrance rising up to God, but this fragrance, he warns us, is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom, but to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. You catch that? Paul says, okay, before you sign up to just be broadcasting this fragrance of Christ, just be mindful that some folk aren't going to like it. Some will be drawn to it. Some will, 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 will want to be near it. Uh, but others will be repulsed by it. Paul says it a different way in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. He said, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know that it is the very power of God. In other words, to those who are perishing, to those who have desire to keep God at an arm's length, the fragrance that we're putting off, if we're doing it right, is offensive. It, it, it might cost you something. You could be as nice and as sweet it's cherry pie, but folks will feel judged by you just for living a righteous life. Anybody ever experienced this? All you got to do is show up and abstain from the foolishness. You're not calling anything out. You're not, you know, reading anybody's mail. You just said, no, thank you. Oh, I don't want to do that. Oh, uh, please, I would rather not hear that about that person if you haven't talked to them first. And they feel judged by you. Because this fragrance, Paul says, is perceived differently by those who are being saved. 
and those who are choosing to perish. In other words, not everybody's going to vibe with your fragrance. This fragrance of Christ. In fact, it actually ends up becoming one of faith's great tests. Right? Because as some of us subscribe to a bland, flavorless, silent faith that doesn't stand for everything, that doesn't stand for anything, that's okay with everything, one of the things that drives that is this, 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 this desire to want to live in the neutral zone of life. Knowing, of course, that if you start living a genuine Christian life, it's going to ruffle some feathers. Your family might have an issue with you, right? It might cost you a promotion. It might cost you some social, some social capital. But one of faith's great tests is, am I living my life so that everybody likes me? And I have just found that if everybody likes my every move, if everybody just claps for me for whatever I stand for, for, for whatever stand I take, for whatever, if everybody's clapping for me, I'm probably doing it wrong. You understand what I'm saying? If everybody's happy for me and everybody just loves when I come, I'm tofu, man. I'm flavorless. But that's what some of us strive for. And I think that Paul might be gently, in a very pastoral way, nudging us away from that, letting us know that everybody's not going to vibe with this. For those who are not interested in God, for those who are put off by faith, they, that's, just, that's just where they are. That's no judgment against them. I'm not throwing them away or casting them aside. I would that the Lord draw them in. But what I know is the Scriptures tell us that nobody can come to Jesus unless what? Unless the Spirit's drawing them, Right? And what I know when I leave my door every single day is that there's some folks I will encounter that day that the Spirit is already working on. It's already tilling the soil of the, already preparing them to see my vineyard shirt and ask me a question. Or to strike up a conversation with me in the produce aisle. Or, or, or to have a little corner conversation by the water cooler at the gym. God's already priming their hearts. And I just want to show up. I want to be interruptible. But I also know that there's somebody who can't, who can't stand to see me coming. Who will walk around to avoid me. Especially when they find out I'm a preacher. It always gets interesting. <laughs> I'm sitting on the airplane and I'm just waiting. Well, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a pastor. I don't know. It's about to get interesting right now. It's either going to get weird or God's about to do something. It's either about to get strange and real icy or, or the Lord's going to do something. I just, I just, I've come to expect it. Hello. It's Jesus calling. He said, get Get ready. I don't want you to get hung up. Don't get hung up on the folk that aren't ready for this yet. And that's how I'm choosing to see them. They're not ready yet. There's no lost causes. But Paul says, but to those who are being saved, 
to those that the Spirit's drawing, to those who the Lord's working on. Think about Saul, right? Saul got knocked down, blinded. The Spirit's dealing with him. He's in a Holy Ghost timeout. And all Ananias has to do is go over there and say, Brother Saul, lay hands on him. The heavy lifting's already been done. But to those who are being saved, they are waiting for me to show up. They can't, they can't wait to meet somebody who has some light and who has some distinction and is walking with some kingdom swag. They can't wait. And I'm just staying on this for a few minutes because here's what you need to know. Some people, listen to me, some people have ne never met a real Christian. And I'm not talking about people who are perfect. I'm not talking about people who are just Ned Flanders, you know, goody two. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a real person in touch with, with their failures and shortcomings, but love the Lord, stand for something, treat people right, empathetic, listening, generous. Some people, 40, 50 years old, they never had a friend like that. Some people are middle-aged and they've never had a co-worker that was a rock-solid Jesus-following person who showed up every single day and loved the Lord and was a light and seasoned the place. You walk out of your door in the morning and say, you know, most people haven't met somebody like that, have gotten to know somebody like that. Man, consider that for a second. Those who are being saved, to those that the Spirit is drawing, we are life-giving perfume. To those who need a touch from the Lord because they don't know which way is up. And I'm not excluding the folks who live in your house. I'm not excluding your kids. I'm talking about them. I'm not excluding your roommate. I'm talking about them. I'm not excluding your spouse. I'm talking about them. What's your fragrance? Not everybody's going to like it, though. Fourth thing I see in this text, and I'm headed somewhere, is that Paul points to our motivation. When I say our motivation, I'm talking about what motivates us to have and to live this consequential life, what gets us out of bed in the morning as followers of Jesus. Paul says it plainly. At least I believe it's plain. Verse 17, he says, You see, we are not like the many hucksters, that's an interesting word, who preach for personal profit. We preach the word of God with sincerity and with Christ's authority, knowing that what? God is watching. Let's slow down at that one. Let's pump the brakes at, at verse 17 because if you're just doing a casual read, you could just, you could just slip past those three words. But those, those three words, in my opinion, anchor the whole thing. God is watching. Paul says, we're not like these hucksters, these slick preachers who just do this to line their pockets. Now, make no mistake, Paul's not railing against vocational ministers. I certainly am not. I mean, that would be a glass house, right? This is what I do for a living. Paul's not against those who do this for a living. 
I'm not against those who do this for a living. Paul's talking about the slick guys who, because they don't want to or because they can't do anything else, have taken to ministry, as many have, because they, they can be slick and they can make a quick buck. Paul says, that's not, that's not why we do this. In fact, Paul went to great lengths not to burden the churches that he ministered to because he always had a side gig. Paul's not talking about that. Paul says, we're not doing this to, to make us Facebook or Instagram famous for followers and likes and for riches and all the trappings of this life. Paul says, we do this because God is watching. And you can go a long time and sit in somebody's church for a long time without being reminded that God sees you. And we've talked about it through this Christmas season as being seen by God and being known by God. And that gives us the warm fuzzies because we go, oh, God has located us to shine his light and his blessings upon us. Yeah, but God is also watching because we work for him. And there are folks who are dying and going to hell every single day. And God is watching to see if we are on mission. To see if we're tending to what kind of fragrance we're putting out because it matters. Because it matters. You're going to fly the Christian flag? You better smell like one. You're going to wear the SSV shirt. You better smell like one. The anti-evangelism is a professing Christian that doesn't smell like one. Paul highlights it. I want to re-emphasize it. Our motivation is that God is watching. He cares about this stuff. This mission that he's given us, friends, isn't simply busy work. What can, what can I, what can I put, give them a do just so they can stay out of trouble? Well, there's purpose behind this. The souls are at stake. Eternal destinies hang in the balance. God is, God's watching. Well, how do we put this all together as we look forward to a new year? How do we begin to walk this out, to function and show up as willful captives, to proclaim and to exude Christ-like fragrance, a Christ-like presence, knowing that some will love it and others not so much, understanding all the while that God is watching. How do we even begin to lean into this? Well, there are many ways I can answer that. But I think the answer this morning is simple. The answer is this. Work on your inner life. Were you expecting something deeper? Something more profound? something that would make you get up and run around the church? How do I exude a Christ-like fragrance? How do, I, how do I have that proclamation and that presence? How do I show up with a constant awareness that I'm on the job and that God is watching? Work on your 
inner life. How's your soul today? I know you're cute with the boots and the sweater and the matching. But how's your inner life? How's your soul? How's your life with Jesus? Well, ask that question. I said, Preacher, why you got to go there today? Here's what I know from my own personal experience is that your life's fragrance for better or for worse will flow from within. It will flow from within. Some of us have to think about that for a second because everything we do to smell good, we apply it. You know, lotion, right? A little smell good. Some of you put a little smell good on this morning. You like that scented soap, so you got that just out of the sour smell, right? Yeah, that's the exterior. But your life's fragrance will be determined by what? Your inner life. And some of us have not been coached to deal with and to tend to the reality of our soul. And all of our energy and effort goes to to dealing with the boat, the part of the boat that's above the waterline. But below the waterline, things are rusted, hole in the boat, things sinking. All the chrome on top is shining. It's popping, right? But below the waterline. And it won't be long before that vessel sinks. How is your inner life? How is your soul? Because the consequential life, friend, starts with a healthy, anchored inner life. And so I say all that to say that if you're going to be a person on mission, you say, but I'm, I'm way off. I haven't been a person on mission. I've just been living for myself. I'm a mess. I don't know which way is up. That's good. That's why you're here today. That's why you're listening online. That's why you're listening to the podcast. That's why you're watching this later on demand. The Lord wants you to hear this. It's not too late for you. And every year, God installs a, a natural turn-the-page point, and for us, it's the new year. We'd be foolish as a church to squander it. And so every year, at the end of the year, we're scrambling. Say, How can we get everybody on the same page, turning the page, tending to their inner life, tending to their soul, tending to life below the waterline? How can we do that? 30-day fast. Where we say, please, 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 look around the room of your life and locate those things that compete with God for attention and affection. Locate those things in the room of your life that have grown too large. Maybe they're good things. Maybe they're, maybe they're great things. But they've grown too large. And they've got beside themselves and they've climbed up and sat on God's throne, on the throne of your heart. That's what you're supposed to locate and that's what you're supposed to ruthlessly deal with in pursuit of a healthy inner life. What has your heart? What has your attention or too much of it? What has your affection or too much of it? That's the thing. 
That's the thing. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's food or certain kinds of food. Maybe it's certain kinds of people. Right? Maybe it's certain kinds of media, television, or streaming media, or something like that. Something Again, I'm not talking about it's got to be vile or it's got to be sinful. And some of it, like those are the natural things. Those are the things you go to first. But much of what I'm talking about, as you know, if you've ever done this, much of what I'm talking about is, it doesn't fall in that category. And so the Lord says, that. Can I have that? He said, Lord, I'm not ready. He said, okay, just give it to me for 30 days. Just lay it down for 30 days. Step away from that kind of food for 30 days. Don't text or call that person. Don't give them a second of your energy or time for 30 days. Turn that TV off for 30 days. Turn that show off for 30 days. Don't drink any coffee. Help me, Lord. Well, I don't drink coffee. I'm, I'm, I just heard in my spirit a collective, Lord Jesus, help me. Now, something came to mind, and what I know is we automatically want to push that thing to the back. Now, if it came to mind, that's probably right. And it's been my experience that it's usually not hard for me to know exactly what I'm supposed to give up. And somebody just flippantly said, as, we, as somebody always does, you didn't say it out loud, I ain't doing that. That's what you said. I ain't doing that. That's fine. You're grown. Do what you want. But the Lord is inviting us into something that I think will challenge us and change us. Now, hear this, and worship team, you can come up as I continue to land this plane today. This fast pulls us away from things, right? But what we often challenge people to do as they pull away from things is to lean toward other things, life-giving things, helpful things, things that are rooted in God's kingdom, God's people, God's stuff. And so we populate the January calendar with plenty of connection opportunities so that as you pull away from things that have been derailing you, that have been deteriorating your soul, you can press toward things that will replenish it. And so every Wednesday during our fast, we'll do a Wednesday morning devotion at 6 a.m. You say, 6 a.m.? Yes, 6 a.m. And we're going to do it online. So you don't even have to get out of your bed or your jammies. All you got to do is reach over, turn on Facebook Live, and you're at church. Short worship set, short encouragement, devotion, a little bit of prayer, and you're off to your day. 6 a.m. every Wednesday throughout the fast. I know that's going to be a challenge for some of you. But there, there, there's hardly anything that we do to be healthy that's convenient. You ever notice that? And so I'm challenging you to press in. 
Some of you, the Lord is calling you to make a commitment to this church, to join this church, to get off the fence, to get off the sideline, to say, hey, you can count on me to be a part of this church. Well, there's an opportunity coming up on January 8th to take the beginnings class. Everybody in this church should be in a small group. In a week or so, we'll start a brand new round of small groups. A five-week session of small groups. You can do anything for five weeks. And this is an opportunity for you to connect with people. Most of these will be online through Zoom for, for roughly about an hour. An opportunity to connect with the Word, connect with other people, to be accountable to one another. This is an opportunity for us to press in. And I would to everybody, especially our staff, especially our key leaders, but everybody in this church for five weeks, especially during this fast, would say, I'm going to be in a small group. I'm going to move some things around so that I might press toward some things that will help me work on my inner life. There'll be an opportunity for those who wish to be baptized, to make a commitment or a recommitment to be baptized or to be rebaptized. We're going to put that in this month as well. Give you plenty of opportunities to connect, to press in. The choice is yours. Here's one thing that we promise people around here is you don't, we don't ever pressure you to do anything. The only thing you have to do is treat other people with respect. That's the only thing you have. And maybe, and wear some clothes when you come in here. That's the only thing, maybe, and wear a mask. That's the only thing we require. Everything else is up to you. Nobody's going to track you down. Nobody's going to shame you and sit you on the back row because you got to want this, right? But I believe that some of us want to live a consequential life, that we want to make that kingdom missional impact in ways that we've never tasted before. We want to be the salt and light in our community, the salt and light in our homes, the salt and light in our places of work, the salt and light where we go to school and where we do business in the marketplace. And the Lord is giving you an on-ramp to that. Don't squander it. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. For your love. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your example. Thank you, Lord, that your spirit drew us toward you. And I thank you for all the people who had to show up well in our lives, who lived a consequential life of impact that we saw and that we were drawn to, would you make us those same people for somebody else? Come, Lord Jesus. We just want you. May, may, may the things of this earth grow strangely dim as we fix our eyes on you. Show us what we need to see. Give us strength and courage to do as you instruct. We ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said.